Hey, everybody. Hey, Ben. Welcome back. It has been, it's been a while. It has been. I, you know, after a long sabbatical, um, <laughs> after, you know, Putin's invasion, we went on hiatus, but we're back now. Awesome. Well, yeah, and I just want to shout um, really quickly for everybody. Uh, I'll be posting three videos in a row. So the video I posted yesterday with Scoot Science and Salmon Farming, and then the video today to talk about the one month anniversary, I suppose, of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And then tomorrow I'll have another piece on commodity inflation and agriculture inflation. But today Ben and I are just going to talk about, you know, it's been one month. Ben and I have been talking about this situation, uh, now the war for months since November, and we just wanted to do a little bit of a recap of what has happened in the past month, what has changed since we initially obviously began began talking about it, and sort of how we see or how others see some analysis around potential outcomes. Yeah. Is it an anniversary or is it just we're just one month in? It's not over yet, is it? Well, I wasn't, I don't know if anniversary is the correct term, right? Like I, I feel like an anniversary is something that you celebrate. And I don't think that we are celebrating a war, right? Right. Yeah. Maybe so, we're just one month in. Just one month in. Yeah. There's a, there's such a fine balance, right? Between talking about this stuff and being so thoughtful and considerate around the Ukrainians whose lives are being disrupted and the weirdness of seeing all that unfold on social media. Like a lot of people have contacted me about, I can't stop doom scrolling, Kyla. And it's like, there's so much more that we have to understand about the situation, um, what the Ukrainians are going through, what the Russian people are going through as well, to a lesser extent, of course. But all of this sort of circles back up to one guy. You want to say his name? Like Voldemort. Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Yeah. Vladimir uh, it is. Yeah, he is. He is something else. I, I don't, this invasion has not gone according to his plan. Mm-hmm. He drank his own Kool-Aid. I, I think to a certain extent, he drank the West Kool-Aid on Russia. Here we have like this image that Russia's strong and powerful and their military is just, you know, we can never potentially match it. And they're just, a, you know, a demon. And I think a lot of that comes from our image of the USSR after the Second World War. But that, that you know, the USSR is gone. It's been gone for 30 years. Russia is not the USSR, notably, Um, even though Putin would like to make it that. I think it kind of took everyone by shock that we're now a month in. He thought he would take Kyiv in two days. It is day 28, and Kyiv still stands. Vladimir Zelensky still stands. And uh, the denazification, as he called it, has been unsuccessful. It has been unmitigated failure. And I think he realizes that, even though he claims everything's going according to plan. And they're really running out of options. This is either the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end for the Russian military in Ukraine. He's done quite a bit over the past month or so, right, around Mm -hmm. talking and saying the reasons why he chose to invade Ukraine and how he thinks about Ukraine in context of the whole geopolitical situation. And I know that you've been watching like some videos about him. So like, what do you think that we've learned about Putin over the past month or so? Putin is claims to be a student of history, right? But everything he recites is often flawed history, you know, such as his understanding. What'd you say? Revisionist. Yeah. Revisionist is what, yeah, it is. Often like revisionist history. It's often, it seems a lot of his connection to wanting to expand Russia and wanting to establish, you know, these spheres of influence long after the world decided we were done with that. It really seems to come from his own personal experience, right? Going back to when he was a KGB agent in East Germany. And, you know, the Berlin Wall fails and he calls home, no one answers. And, uh, you know, he's kind of like shipwrecked then. What does he do? 
you know, it all just kind of seems to come back to his personal trauma, you know, with the USSR fell. He calls it, he calls it the greatest geopolitical catastrophe uh, of the, the last century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think about all the things that Chernobyl, they're blowing nuclear dust into Sweden and Finland. I don't know, World War II, that saw 75 million people the die. World Wars, yeah. Right? right. Vietnam, that destroyed American credibility through the Iraq War. What Putin has done here is rebuilt the United States intelligence credibility. But there was a 20-year segment there where no one could take the United States intelligence seriously at all. For him to say the USSR is the biggest catastrophe, I guess, tells us a lot about him, especially in an era where USSR couldn't have lasted. They were out of money. People were fed up with it. And it just, you know, for him to say it dissolves is kind of weird, right? And it also, let me raise this question to you. When he says it's, it was a catastrophe for it to dissolve, I mean, they were running out of money, Kyla. Do you think he just wanted it to like keep existing in a state of just being broke or the heyday of the USSR? Uh, what do you think he means there? Yeah, I think the heyday, right? Like he probably wanted that sort of power. Like they were a world power. And Russia kind of is to a certain extent. And so I think for him, and he, that's just what he wants is to get that back together for whatever reason. And I don't think a lot of people and a lot of analysts have talked about this. Like a lot of people are like, why is he doing what he's doing? Like, <laughs> and, uh, and we've both made videos about this, right. On, on TikTok, mm-hmm. not to make it about us, but we've talked about it about us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we've talked <laughs> about like he wants the USSR back together and everyone's like, no, NATO got too close. And, you know, NATO maybe did get a little bit too close, but Putin, I think wants something that doesn't exist anymore. And I don't know what it takes for him to realize that that doesn't exist. And if he goes and decimates entire countries, that's not going to rebuild the USSR. That's going to leave him. We can talk about outcomes at the end, but that's going to leave him. The Ukrainians hate him, right? And so if he takes over, if somehow that happens, they're not going to let him rule them, right? And so like, that's a really bad outcome for him. So if he goes like tries to take Poland as well, that's going to go really poorly. The Polish people (laughs) also really don't like him. So I'm not sure if he kind of realizes the context of what he's trying to do. I'm sure he does, but. I was listening to this Estonian lady or her parents were Estonian Mm -hmm. and they told her that she, she didn't understand what freedom was because she had never grown up in a world that didn't have freedom, right? Her parents grew up in the USSR. And then once the walls fell, all of a sudden they had all this freedom and their life changed entirely. Right. And so I think Putin seems US, when you, if you were Russian in the USSR, it was really good. If you were anyone else, not too great, right? And so like these, these countries, they don't want to go back, as you said. You know, mm-hmm. Poland, they hate Russia. Ukraine hates Russia. A majority of them hate Russia too, even though Lukashenko has become a Putin puppet. Mm-hmm. Like there's, up until like two years ago, they were still uh, beefing in the public eye and saying mean things about each other. Like it is the idea, I don't know how he thinks he's going to bring back the USSR. And it's important to know, Putin is not a communist, right? Mm-hmm. He wants to... So he wants the USSR's borders back, but without the communism, right? And maybe that works without the communism. Maybe it's not a bankrupt society that produced nothing that anyone wanted. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard to see what he wants here. And it's hard to, he thinks he can subdue these populations. But I think he's in, I think he's realizing that in Ukraine, that is not, you cannot subdue it, right? People in democracies don't want to be ruled by people don't want to be ruled by autocrats, right? They don't want to, they don't want to go back to the Iron Curtain. People in Ukraine, they enjoy their freedoms. They don't want, you know, they don't want to go back to Kremlin approved speech. There's so much that could be said about how this was even 
happening in the first place. He didn't seem to expect Ukraine to fight back as much as they have. I don't think anyone did. I mean, even the United States got the invasion completely right, right? Their intelligence suggested Russia's going to invade. They got it down exactly to like the number of battalion tactical groups, everything. But what they seemed to have gotten wrong was the course of the invasion. Mm-hmm. They thought that Ukraine would cave within 48 to 72 hours. It's day 28. And Washington, along with the EU, seems to not really have a strategy <laughs> for it at this point, right? Um, and so their strategy seems to be like, if the Ukrainians want to keep fighting, you know, we'll keep supplying, you know? Um, but I don't think Washington or Brussels has any idea as to what the end game is here, mm-hmm. right? Because Russia can feasibly, I mean, their economy is gone, right? It's collapsing around them. Apparently, one of the, the leading tank manufacturers in Russia had to close down because of a lack of components. They're running out of stuff, right? If China comes to their aid, maybe that changes things. If the rumors are true, if what a Western officials have said is right and the pro-Kremlin tabloid that leaked the information is right, Russia's looking at forty to 50,000 casualties and they committed 200,000. That's one fourth. I mean, they're stuck in place, right? Like, and you have to think of that 200,000 soldiers they committed, only 75,000 are actually like frontline like fighters. The rest are like logistics. So, I mean, you're like, that's majority of your invasion force, your majority of your fighters. So I don't, Russia's going to be bogged down. I, clearly they have no idea how logistics work. So maybe Putin can take a, an online class to learn how to <laughs> figure that one out. But uh, point, yeah. they seem to be bogged down and stuck and the Ukrainians are taking the initiative. They're doing counter offensives. They took, they claim they took back 60 villages around Kiev. Uh, they did an encirclement yesterday uh, and they cleared out that area. They broke their, you know, they broke the encirclement of Kharkiv as well. Wow. The only truly surrounded city is uh, Mariupol. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you say it. And that's the only, and that is a humanitarian crisis in itself. I don't know if you've seen the drone footage of that, but it is scarring. It just, it looks like something out of the second world war where these cities are just completely gone. Um, and they're not surrendering. And I assume Russia will probably take the city just because they're eventually, the Ukrainians are eventually going to run out of supplies. They have no way of, you know, uh, supplying the city or the fighters in the city. So I think eventually that will fall, but I don't know how Russia exactly plans on taking Kharkiv or Kiev uh, or really Odessa or Dnieper for that matter. Um, they can't seem to get anywhere. And the Ukrainians have no problem blowing bridges and blowing up their own dams to make things, you know, impossible to transit. So, yeah, it's, it is, it's not looking good. Yeah. And uh, with that many casualties, those are World War II level losses, just to make that abundantly clear. Um, the first month. In the first, yeah, the first month, like that is, uh, you know, yeah, to have 40 to 50,000 soldiers out of commission. So if, sad. if those numbers are accurate, that's insane. I mean, even if the U.S. is like conservative estimate of 16 to 20,000 casualties is accurate, that's still horrendous as well. They're still stuck. And I guess it explains why Russia hasn't taken anything in two weeks. Like they're just, you know, they're digging in, they're building trenches, satellite photo show. Yeah, they're digging trenches. They mm-hmm. are. They're going to have to dig in and secure their defensive position until hopefully the Kremlin sends reinforcements. But all these intelligence agencies said there are no indications that they're sending reinforcements. The Russian military strategy here doesn't make any sense. They're losing planes left and right. The first time the United States said that they only had 60% of their air power currently available to them, which is pretty bad because they don't have air superiority either. And apparently they've lost more than 10% of their combat power as well. 
So that's that's rough, man. That's I don't I don't know how they preceded this invasion. They withdraw its humiliation, right? right? Ukraine's already humiliated them enough. They revealed them to be a paper tiger. I, I don't know how they proceed from this point on. Yeah. Other than maybe they just, they camp it out and hope maybe it gets better come the summer, but I can't see it. Ukraines are enthusiastic. They're taking the initiative. They're screwed. I, I, it might just be better for Russian soldiers to surrender than to keep fighting this war that they're clearly losing. I know it's not as simple as like surrender, you know, but like, this is not good for them. They're running out of money. Yeah. Do you want to speak more about their money situation? So I think it ties into what you're saying, though, is like this road is so uncertain. Like, okay, sure, you can send in your troops. Literally, he's sending them in to get murdered, which is so sad. Tomorrow, they're supposed to announce additional sanctions. Europe and the United States are announcing announcing additional sanctions. So by the time this gets published, there will probably be additional sanctions on Russia, probably around oil, on energy. Because right now, Russia has been able to finance most of the war through oil payments. Um, they make about a billion dollars a day through selling oil, and they've been able to sell oil to India, to China. But now it's like, okay, so if additional sanctions are levied, that's probably going to make them run out of money even sooner. I think the estimate, this was from Noah Smith, and I don't think it's a perfect estimate, but they, it's like, I want to say 250 million. I'll have the exact statistic on, on the screen, but um, 250 million on the war per day, which is like that's that. A lot of money. Yeah. So like, but you can't keep on doing that, right? No, that's rough. I don't know how they keep this up. I and, and it's also insane to think that they keep threatening a larger conflict with NATO. Nothing against the Ukrainians. They're fighting very well. But like, if they can't even take on Ukraine, how do they expect they're going to take on NATO and the United States? This is probably a, an important question to ask. And I've brought this up before. And people say it's fear-mongering, but I, I do think it's valid. And we've sort of talked about it as like mm-hmm. nuclear option. I think people who say things are fear-mongering are personally scared themselves and aren't it's valid. ready. It's okay to right. be it's, afraid. It's a valid yeah. concern. I mean- You can't just call had... it fear-mongering and be like, oh, we can't talk about it, you know? Right? The Kremlin spokesperson was on CNN yesterday, asked to deny they wouldn't use nuclear weapons in Ukraine or on the West, and he refused to say so, and then said uh-huh. we'd only use them on an existential threat. Well, rewind- I just like a few days ago, Putin was calling Ukraine an existential threat and the West an existential threat. Mm-hmm. So like you actually either you're confirming you're using nuclear weapons or we're back to status quo where everyone's confused as to whether or not you're going to blow up the world. No, it's not fear mongering. It is an increasing possibility. Putin's back's against the wall. I don't I don't know. I, I don't know if he's at the point where he'll just end it all. Right. If you assume he has like three options here, one withdraw two, war of NATO three is people drag them out to the streets or four and the world. I don't know. I don't think we're at option four yet. Right. And it's also a, a suicide pact. Right. So like using them as a guarantee that it would, that it's over. Yeah. So I'm not sure he is committed to that yet, but I don't think it's fear monger. I think it's a legitimate concern. I think the idea of NATO v Russia is legitimate. I mean, Poland wants to go into Ukraine mm-hmm. to assist the Ukrainians. And it seems that all of Washington's been holding it back, but how much longer can they? I'm not sure. So like, it's, this is a real thing. This is not fear mongering. Uh, this is not war mongering. This is a real concern and something that can actually happen. Um, and hopefully it doesn't, right? Hopefully the Ukrainians just beat the Russians outright. And, you know, we don't need post-Soviet uh, v. Russia combat, but. Yeah, and that's like the whole thing of physical versus economic warfare, right? Where so the West seems to have chosen the path of economic warfare, which makes sense, right? Because if they go uh, in gunslinging, then that's 
nukes are really the next step, I think, because that's two nuclear powers at war with each other. But it's just interesting, like, will the economic sanctions be enough or will there have to be this element of, you know, Poland? This is so personal for Poland. (laughs) Will they go in? Will Article 5 be enacted? Are these economic sanctions going to be enough warfare? Another, like, fear is why nuclear war seems so inevitable is that Russia's military compared to NATO and the United States, it can't hold its own, right? There's no scenario where Russia can, you know, a lot of things would have to go right in order for them to pull off uh, a military victory without going nuclear. So it's, you know, you have a much weaker military power who's clearly getting exposed in Ukraine. Having to fight NATO, it just seems like a recipe for nuclear weapons, right? So what can you do there, right? So I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, I think it's a legitimate fear, but like you said, this could this could spiral out of control. We'll have to see. It, there were a few times though, like in the, the beginning stages where we're on day four and they're like, we're gonna give them fighter jets. That's when this seemed to be spiraling and we've kind of stopped the spiral, but now yeah. it seems like we're back to the spiral because now Poland and the Czech Republic and Estonia and everyone else is like, no, nah, we're you know, we gotta fight them now. And I think most of Eastern Europe wants to end the 200 year Russian problem right now. The United States has been abundantly clear. If Eastern Europe wants to fight Russia, they can, but don't expect Washington to be there immediately. Don't mm-hmm. expect them to be side by side with you. And then I think there's another component too, right? The information mm-hmm. warfare that we've personally received, right? On TikTok. Oh God. But there, I think I, I, there's an interesting map that showed how the information warfare isn't really targeting the West. It's more targeting the BRICS countries. So not only those countries like uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, but also Africa. So they're like funneling this narrative that the special military operation that Russia is doing is for protection, which is like a whole subset of war that's very hard to manage i think yeah they're like trying to capitalize on like the post-colonial resentment right it seems but it's like russia also had colonies and the (laughs) ussr was chief you know colonizer in you know the 1900s so like i'm not exactly sure what it is an interesting strategy i do think they abandoned their efforts in the west and i think you can notice it in our own comment sections they're like falling right like it's they used to be pretty prominent and now they're kind of like they just now get shouted down in comments and everyone's like, you're insane. And people ask them how many rubles are you getting paid for this? Right. So it's like, yeah, I don't blame them for abandoning efforts in the West, but it is interesting to try to see them persuade the rest of the world. But I'm not sure Latin America, you know, with Brazil, I don't think their efforts will be successful there. Latin America is very pro diplomacy and they, I'm pretty sure all those countries besides Venezuela, as for India, India is trying to play both sides here, same with China. And I think it's going to blow back because what Biden called India shaky the other day. Oh, um, shoot. Yeah, he said they're shaky and they're not making any actual commitments. So like, I'm sure India and China have no problem, you know, giving the finger to Washington. Mm-hmm. But the West seems abundantly clear that they'll drop economic nukes on anyone who wants one and anyone who dares question uh, the economic uh, war with Russia right now. I think China recognizes that. I think India does not. And so I think that's why India's tightrope walk is, as Biden said, shaky compared to Xi's, which is trying to balance both sides here. Well, they're not they're they're not being as careful. Like China will come out. China's speaking outside both sides of their mouth. India is just like we want energy, <laughs> we need this oil, which is like valid, right? Like they have a huge mm-hmm. population, and you've got to take care of those people. So it's sort yeah. of a big trade off, but. I think China, they always say like, oh, this needs to end in diplomacy and conversation. But India is just kind of like, 
all right. Like, I think their their former ambassador to Russia was like, this is not our problem. India is very much still being India, not taking orders from anyone. And I respect it, but I also am concerned that they don't see that Europe is not playing around. Europe views this as an existential threat. And this isn't just like Uncle Sam being Uncle Sam, you know, trying to rally everyone around a common enemy. Maybe that is the United States doing that right now. But Europe is being serious about this. Europe's not playing games. And Europe has no problem cutting off trade with India if they need to. And I don't know how much trade the two of them do, but it definitely seems like Europe's out for blood here. And anyone who crosses that, who's not named China, seems like they could get the economic smoke. I think it's important to highlight too that there's a lot of, I think, frustration in emerging market economies, developing market economies with the West in general. So I I do want to like shout that out that things can be a little bit unskewed. Like Europe is now bidding a huge bidding player in the energy market. So Pakistan is having trouble getting diesel because they can't pay the way that Europe pays. So I think that Mm -hmm. is important to highlight. Like (laughs) there is a ton of disparity and there's a lot of frustration because of that. But I also think like, this is like everybody's problem. And I don't know if it's the whole East versus West thing where the, you know, the world tends to segment into those two sections and India, China, Russia, or the East and, uh, you know, Europe and the United States are the West and the, that kind of creates like a bloodline, but Russia is on the rampage. And to think that they're not going to turn their back on India or even China, honestly, I think it's silly. The future of Russia is a Chinese vassal state, right? Yeah. That is China is going to buy up everything in Russia and they are just going to own Vladimir Putin. And so I think, but I also think that's where India comes in. India is kind of scared that uh, they're not scared of China, but they view China as a competitor, right? And so if they both don't like the United States, maybe India less so than China, then, you know, India has to maintain friendliness with Russia in order to keep a hand in, you know, the Russian markets in order to keep a hand in Russia. And so I think, I think that's also an aspect of it too, is that China and India don't necessarily get along, but India wants to keep a hand in Russia to prevent China from owning it, right? I wonder what Mongolia is thinking at this point also. Right. Like, could you imagine being that, being them, being stuck in between these two? Right in the middle. Yeah. Right in the middle. Yeah. And they probably both want Mongolia. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not a, not a great time to be, to be anyone. Uh, Really. I mean, everyone's doing a tightrope walk. Right. So. Yeah. Because one dude was like, Hey, that's mine. It's insane that he thought it would go well. It is insane. Um, And I'm glad it's not going well. I'm glad it's a catastrophe for him. And I'm sure people say that's biased, but I don't think uh, objecting to slaughter is bad. So Russia is a huge player in the global economy for both from a fertilizer, from a wheat, Ukraine is a huge player. And so now the price of everything is going up even more so than it already was. So I think everybody experiences the consequences of this decision. Obviously, Ukraine is experiencing the most intense and the most most horrific version of the consequences, but the fallout of this, so like what happens in Africa, who relies on Russia for a lot of wheat, how are are they going to eat, right? Um, Right. Who's going to feed them fertilizer? How are crops going to get grown? When is the planting season going to commence in Ukraine again? There's just so much uncertainty from a stability perspective for the entire world globalization flows too. He threw the global order into mass chaos here with his you know, 1700s era invasion. So 
Yeah. And I, I think we were talking on a previous podcast and I think you said this where the reason that Europe hasn't, because they used to always like be beating each other up, like all the time they'd get into wars. Right. But the reason that that hasn't happened as much is because of globalization. There's sort of like that unwritten rule that, oh, okay, Russia relies on everybody else for right. semiconductor flows. Like they have palladium, but they don't have the technology. They're a huge fan of the Italian luxury goods market. So right. That's sort of meant to be an incentive for one country to choose not to invade another, but here it yeah. didn't work. And I, so I think that, I, I think that a lot of our frameworks are just going to have to evolve a little bit, how we think about how easy it is to get everything. Like it might be a little bit more difficult. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think it's even in before World War One and World War Two, Europe was reliant on each other for everything. Right. Um, maybe not as much now, but like, I don't think, I don't think economics prevent war. Right. I just you the field of <laughs> economics doesn't prevent war are you chilling? no, no <laughs> I mean I guess I just I don't think monetary means again I always just it should be an incentive war. right like right. if Putin really cared about not to do it. people yeah, if he really cared about right. his people he would not send his currency crashing down 50 percent no yeah, you're you're right yeah you're right but I, I think most wars are fought for political reasons right yeah. yeah so I think it's so maybe right. it, it makes <laughs> What'd you say? So I was like, maybe it wasn't you that said that. I guess somebody else did. I don't know. I do wonder if the end of Russia is a threat, right? So say Russia's economy collapses and they go back to the 90s in terms of their material goods and their military is crushed, right? I guess it's a question. Do you think NATO still exists? Because now the Russia threat is gone, right? The USSR is gone. Russia's gone, at least for now. Does NATO dissolve? You know, the United States says, all right, our work here is done. Russia's gone. Because now there's no, who is the enemy in Europe that Europe needs protection against? Or that Europe themselves need to be ganging up on? So I've seen that before. Like if the, if the, because the USSR fell, like why did NATO still exist? And I, I thought that was kind of interesting because I feel like it's important to have that sort of pact between other countries. Like mm-hmm. if you have a contract with somebody, you're going to be more likely to fulfill it and stand up for it. So I think it's important to have that sort of buddy-buddy agreement in place. And there's always, there's always going to be some person who wants to take over something. And so I think like having these friendship agreements is important for that because like people are always going to be peopling nonstop and you have to have protection in place for that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Well, and it would be interesting to see, I'm not as hawkish on, I think this is the end of the Russian state. I think they'll somehow make it out of this. I think they'll be okay. They'll still be a pain in everyone's ass and still exist in some way. I mean, they may go back to 90s level poverty and everything else, but I think they'll still exist. But I do think you could be seeing the beginning of a broader NATO, of a more Western NATO, right? And it's Finland and Sweden are going to join NATO, right? There's no reason for them not to at this point. I mean, they attended the emergency meeting after the invasion. Mm-hmm. And just that it doesn't make any sense for the United States to be the bridging point between Japan, Australia, New Zealand, Malaysia, and Singapore, right? It doesn't make any sense for them to be the bridging point anymore. Europe should just buy into that, right? And Europe may view that as an invitation for war with China eventually. And so maybe they might get uneasy on that, but I don't see any reason not to broaden to a broader Western alliance. And if Europe truly believes this democracy versus autocracy stuff that they're saying, and Washington believes it too. There's no reason not to expand it to the United States or Pacific Asian allies, right? So yeah. it's something to think about. It could We could be in the beginning stages of a broader Western alliance. 
Yeah, and I think that would be interesting to see how other countries perceive that too, who might not be invited to the fan club. I mean, I think that kind of stuff is going to have to happen. There's two sides to the coin, right? So like countries are watching the sanctions happen and saying like, oh, we need to get away from USD. Like we cannot be relying on the US dollar right now. But then I'm sure other countries are watching this and like, dang, I probably want to be like on NATO's good side. We're just going to see hopefully where that ends up and hopefully... Hopefully I can contribute to a little bit more peace. Yeah. Peace everywhere, yeah. right? Not just in Europe, but right. in the Middle East as well. Yeah. You, well, you kind of wonder what China's thinking about when it comes to Taiwan now, right? Because they saw the, the, primary, the primary narrative in China and Russia was that, oh, the West is too divided to actually do anything about this. But when push came to shove, Russia started launching missiles at Kiev. It was instantaneous. The West united and they dropped economic nukes on Russia without even like second guessing it. No hesitation. It was just like, yep, gone, done. Yeah. And the Russian economy was gone within a matter of days. And, uh, or not, like, sanctions take time. The market price set in and they were like, okay. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So well, I think that kind of deters China in a way, right? Oh, they sure. realize that we're dealing with something far, far greater than we thought. Like, even if we think the Americans aren't, even if we think we could take the Americans head on, how are we going to deal with the rest of the West, right? And I think that's where, I think they have been guessing, maybe thinking maybe direct military force over Taiwan is not the option here because, you know, and the Communist Party relies so much on economic gain, economic prosperity for its people. So I just, I don't know. I think they're second guessing it. They have to be. It just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't pass the sniff test for them not to be worried. Yeah. I mean, I think that China has a lot of reliance on the US dollar still and everybody's like, oh, like maybe the yuan will come be the reserve currency. And I just don't think so. China is very good at producing what they need, but they're also still reliant on the Western framework. So I think I agree with you that there's probably gonna be more questions than answers for a while. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, I know the United States is trying to persuade China to be a quote unquote responsible member of the international community. Whether they'll go along with that, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's, as you said, China's talking out both sides of their mouth, right? But they told Washington something. They told Biden something in that conference call. They had the two hour long one. Mm -hmm. Told Biden something. And then in Chinese, he released a statement that countered everything that they said in their English statement. And it's like, okay, well, they're trying to figure out their way here without falling into what they think is probably a Washington trap. And they're probably right. I don't really yeah. know what's in China's future here. Yeah, and I think it's like, just to shout this too, because this is a, some comments that I think we've both gotten. There's people who are trying to destroy and then people who are trying to probably maintain. Like the United States is not a perfect country. That's just right. not, it's just not. Um, you don't it's, think it's perfect? Do you don't think we're a divine nation? I think it's done bad things. And I think it's important to yeah. talk about that. Russia is invading another country. Which is bad, yeah. Is, yeah, like objectively it's, it's bad. And so this isn't saying like that no invasion ever in history hasn't mattered this is saying that this matters right now as well right. and that all invasions are bad and that china like every single country for whatever this is like something i can't wrap my head around is we could have such a good world if we just didn't freaking invade each other right like we could have so much stability we could really figure a lot of stuff out if there's just more agreement and i know i probably sound like a oh what if we all just held hands and like sang kumbaya yeah. But, Thanks, John Lennon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let me just sing a song about it and strum like <laughs> But yeah. I just think it's so, it's so sad. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do. It is interesting to see the what aboutism online about it. You know, people go, oh, the United States, blah, 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 blah. 
there is there is a material difference between the U.S. war in Afghanistan and the and the U.S. war in Iraq, right? The U the U.S. war in Afghanistan was the good war, right? It was the war of intervention. the The war in, in Iraq was dodgy and probably the bad invasion. But the U.S. invasion of Iraq and the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine are two entirely different because the U.S. just was going for regime change, right? Which is not good, not something people should do, but it is significantly levels less worse than a war of conquest, you know, uh, that Russia's going for. They're not trying to do it, but everything we see proves they're trying to annex parts of Ukraine. That is a war of conquest, and a wars of conquest are that's much worse than any other kind of invasion or war you could possibly have. So yeah, the, the what about is interesting. They're trying to draw a parallel, but I don't. I think they're falling flat because I think most people see through it that it's. It's, you know, if the United States went and made Iraq the 52nd state, a 51st state, we'd have a problem, right? But they didn't. And so it's, you know, the United States committed war crimes. They did bad. And, and that's not erasing the badness that the United States has done. Like, of course, yes. Yeah. Bad. Objectively, it's bad. And uh, but let's talk a little, little bit about some possible outcomes that you see. So let's see. So we have the first outcome is that, I, do we, are we in agreement that Russia winning this is just not a thing? anymore not an option yeah i mean maybe we can assign weighted probabilities to them based on yeah. what other people are saying i would say that's like one percent hopefully five percent yeah Is i mean how do you even categorize it as a win right so like that's true years from now, yeah. if they take kiev and then they're fighting insurgents for 20 years that's is that a win yeah. Yeah, i don't think that's a win i think I a win a- would have been taking kiev in two days so like maybe there, like there's probably a zero percent chance that putin gets what putin wanted Right. Yeah, there's no way Ukrainians are going to volunteer. Whoever takes, if they overthrow Zelensky and whoever takes mm-hmm. his place, they're, it's just not, it's, it's not going to work. So yeah, Putin has failed in Ukraine, right? So, okay. So taking that off the board, I guess, our four options are what? He withdraws and he, the sanctions get, do the sanctions get removed if he withdraws? Because the United States said maybe, maybe not. I think it'll depend on how he withdraws when. Yeah. So I guess number one, he withdraws without making any concessions, I think this is probably low, maybe 15, 20% probability. Yeah. Option number two is a negotiated settlement between Ukraine and Russia. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the most likely. Mm-hmm. I, Based on how things I, are going, yeah. Yeah. I, if Russia is going to make demands about Crimea and the Donbass and some other stuff, uh, demilitarization, being neutral, I think there's not a chance. I, I don't think Ukraine's going to give that up. And that seems to be the sticking point there. And there's no reason for Ukraine to agree to neutrality or demilitarization, right? Like back in in 1944, the Germans had like cornered U.S. soldiers, right? And, but the moment the German army is collapsing, right? And the United States was pushing forward. And so they sent them a thing to say, you have 24 hours to surrender. And the U.S. commander at the time replied back with nuts, exclamation point. And that was the reply. And then the American soldiers won the battle anyway, so... I do think that's kind of the attitude Ukrainians have, especially when they're giving them ultimatums, surrender now. They're kind of just like, why? You're losing, you know? So I think if there's a, it'll probably end a negotiated settlement, but I don't think it's anything Russia wants. And like making Russia a, making Russia like a second official language of Ukraine, not something that's going to happen. And their whole stickler point over the street signs mm-hmm. is ridiculous, right? Um, I mean, they want people they that that fought as part of the SS uh, against the USSR and Ukraine to be removed from street signs. But as Ukraine has rightfully pointed out, you, the USSR, Russia, were a co-belligerent alongside Nazi Germany in the Second World War, right? So who are you to be telling us what's right and wrong here, you know? 
So I think, I don't think that's going to fly either. I don't think they'll remove that. So I really, I think their only option here is maybe Ukraine will cede Crimea. I don't see it going according to Putin's plan. Uh, I guess the third option is that he provokes NATO, which would be a suicide for Vladimir Putin. If he launches nukes, I mean, that's probably the end of him, but the West will go on, Russia won't. And uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if he does that. I just, I don't see that going well for him. And the fourth option is what, China bails him out and we're back to him losing in Ukraine again, instead of being dug into a trench. I don't, I don't know. It does seem right to you. Do you mean, do you have a different one? No, yeah, I think those all make sense. So he either sort of withdraws and is like, okay, sorry, everybody didn't mean to invade. I think the scenario number five is Poland gets involved Mm. or some ex-Soviet states get involved and maybe expands to a regional war. But I can't, I don't think that triggers, that won't trigger article five, but I could see that happening. Russia just simply doesn't have the ability to do that. And I also, I don't think they're so far gone that they would nuke a non-nuclear country. I don't think that, I mean, they could use one. I don't know. Maybe they're that far gone, but I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. I, I don't th- I think the Russia has lost Ukraine, no matter what happens at this point. Killing Zelensky turns them into a martyr. Mm-hmm. Arresting him turns them into a martyr. So yeah, I guess if they know they've lost all this, maybe they don't know yet. What exactly are they still fighting for, aiming for? I, this was not thought out. Whoever planned this is an idiot. Um, honestly, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And his generals. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? No. None? Oh, I learned about, oh, actually I do. I learned about this thing last night. Putin embezzled. So in the nineties, when he was part of like external affairs for St. Petersburg, he was tasked with trading oil for food with the West so that Russians wouldn't starve. And instead of doing that like a good person would do he just embezzled he sold the oil embezzled the money and no food was imported and the city council was like he needs to go to jail and the mayor was just dissolved the city council in response and he just ruled by decree this guy is like wow yeah i was like that is a level of greed so that i have not seen before it's like batman villain level of greed right yeah so that answers the question if he cares about his people obviously not Right. Like, I think, I think to a certain extent, he wants them to have the wealth that the West has, but he would have to sacrifice his own greed. And I don't think he's willing to do that. That's really all I have. Follow me on Twitter. It's at D1 Wheeler. It's all this and more. Yeah. But thanks for having me on Kyla. Always happy to be here. Yeah. Hopefully we come back here soon. There's a lot more to unpack. This is, I think, just beginning. So not the war itself, but the fallout. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, The Ukrainian military strategy will go down in history and Russia's decision-making will be... Not not just that. You know. How this will impact the world, right? Oh, that too. Yeah. yeah. I think it'll be viewed as a turning point of the 21st century. Thanks so much for coming on. Always a pleasure to chat and talk again soon. Yes, thank you. Thank right. you. See you later. All right. Later, Gator.